welcome back to they made another one where each week we discuss an oft forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself i'm one of your hosts Corey, and in the words of nick my what big confetti they throw here and with me i've got liam let's get something to eat i'm thirsty interesting it's interesting to say let's get something to eat i'm thirsty it's kind of a kind of a subversion that's right i mean it's, it's very the, subversive i guess that's i guess that's why it's funny i didn't yeah. write it wish i could take credit let's get something to drink i'm tired you know like it's one of it's sort of like that let's go to bed i'm energetic and with me i've mitch is also here with mitch and liam and mitch in the words of Polly, what do you mean illiterate my father and mother were married right here in city hall that is good that's a good line that's a good bit yeah um, <laughs> Uh, Mitch is going to take us back to the past to watch the old movies that don't have any color. Um, and suck is... ass. <laughs> they have plenty of they have plenty of color, but just they're in black and white. Yeah, good. Yeah, good one. Um, is this the oldest movie we've done? No, Phantom of the Opera, nineteen twenty-five. True, we did. You and I did do Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, like as soon as I asked the question, I was kind of like, no, I don't think it is. And then uh, so this I got has my to face. Be a second. It must be because uh 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 swashbuckler uh, uh you're just leaving me out to dry here. What is it called? The prisoner of Zenda. Thank you. Jesus Christ. No, that was like twenty years after this, almost twenty that's years. What I, that's what I'm saying. Like, because that one is old, but it's not old in the way that this is old. And yeah. even this isn't old in the way that uh the Phantom of the Opera was old. Yeah, well, at least this one lot. has sound. Yeah, there was a we really crossed the Sonic Rubicon uh in between those particular films. And uh man, my my whole vibe is off. I this is interesting. I'm going to we're going to try to figure this out. Here's something I think we should do. How was everybody's Christmas? Uh listening note, uh it hasn't happened yet, but we're going to guess. Do you think you will have a good Christmas? I do. I do. Uh, I think that things are looking up here. Um, Advent calendar is still going strong. Limiting myself to one one a day. Got some Oreos in the cupboard that I've been picking away at. Those feel good. I watched Krampus, so I haven't let myself down in that way. And it's good. Krampus is still good. It's a great movie to watch around Christmas because it's very Christmassy. Like there's a whole lot of snow and a wicked storm, and it's uh, a lot of it is stuck in a house, and there are a lot of little Christmassy type critters i still wish that besides that it was a bit more memorable to me like the the actual family characters don't stick out all that much and so um it doesn't it doesn't totally stick the landing but there's a whole lot of great stuff in it so i'm glad i got to that i still want to get to black christmas over the next week or so um i got some gifts i'm excited to give so so things are going good for me do you have things you're excited to potentially get? Did you ask for anything interesting and exciting? You know what? I guess I guess I am excited for stuff. I don't I don't know what. Um, my fiance's mom she is very proactive when it comes to to gift giving, and my, my family doesn't live here in this city, so she's uh, she's my they're my surrogate family while I'm here. We do Christmas at at their house, and so back in late October her mom is already hounding her asking for Christmas lists and she wants a Christmas list list for me and I don't really buy stuff for myself all that much like I started collecting blu-rays last year and that's that's really the only uh uh consumerist vice I've had uh, in my adulthood really um 
and so I don't I don't keep lists of things I want or anything. So I really had to rack my brain and I blew it off for about two months. And then finally, I started thinking of some things. So, you know, I sent whenever something would pop into my head, I would just send it off to Brianna um, and either she would put it on her to buy list or maybe she would give it to her mom or something. So I, I got some some Blu-rays that I might have mentioned, some books that I want to read. So it's kind of it's going to be a grab bag where I don't know exactly what I'm getting, but I'm sure I'll get a few things and I'll be like, oh, man, I did ask for that. This is great. So so yeah. it'll be cool. I'll report back. Well, I mean, my Christmas has been pretty mid. I, uh, I got a lump of coal and then I gave away my heart and the very next day it was given away. Wow. So now I don't know if you know this. Do you know that your your Christmas um is like a particularly famous example of a bad Christmas? Is there's it? like there's reams of pop culture about this huh. kind of experience. Are well, you familiar with Are you familiar with the band Wham at all? Uh That's no, how you have I, to say it. Could you say it back to me just so we know that we're talking about the same band? I'm not really a fan. Uh, too too forceful. Could you try it? Wham. Liam, could you get me a... Sounds like Jimmy Stewart saying it. It does a little uh, bit. I mean, now, wham. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> Honestly. That's good. Uh, so what, do you, what did you do to deserve that, do you think? Who did you wrong? <sighs> Who didn't I wrong? George Michael. <laughs> George Michael for one. Sort of what the song's about. He's in wham, uh, if you didn't know. Um... But the yeah, but the coal I think is in, an interesting kind of development. Mm-hmm. You should look into that. You should maybe seek uh, forgiveness or the help of some benevolent ghosts. And it wasn't even clean coal. Well, clean coal is a myth. That's they <laughs> they try to sell you on clean coal so we don't have to use renewable energy and we all die faster. <laughs> like <laughs> clean coal is made up well, by I, like Exxon Mobil or something. I was just hoping it might be clean coal you know i mean i hear so much about it the premier of alberta made that up for views or whatever it's clean <laughs> not a drop of not a speck of dirt on it. <laughs> you can put that right up into the atmosphere and it's gonna be fine um yeah i think my christmas is probably gonna be pretty good i'm home for it uh right now and i'll be home for it for several days and across various places and locations Given, given some gifts, getting some gifts, spending some family time, currently uh, exiling my mom to a different part of this house so I can do this podcast in the first place. Maybe I'm inching myself into coal territory with that particular approach. We'll have to see. But um, well, if you are, I hope it's clean coal. Yeah, uh, just some good clean coal. You could drink it. Delicious. If you, you wanted put it to in a smoothie, you could it's drink good it. Good for gut bacteria. Incredible. <laughs> it's the cleanest coal you can find. It's going to get us to Mars. If you're hungry, you drink that coal. Oh, and it's beautiful. On set, William Powell was drinking three lumps of coal a day. Oh, you break that stuff down with a mortar and pestle, put it on your toothbrush. Yum, yum. Colgate is quaking, dude. They're fucked. (laughs) It's a business opportunity because it's in the name. (laughs) Colgate. I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Welcome to to the Colgate. uh, Our sponsor. <laughs> dude like i do i think colgate did sponsor like a radio show in the 30s colgate colgate <laughs> hang on it's a it, colgate old radio show um the colgate comedy hour fuck yeah i knew it 
The Colgate Comedy Hour was an American comedy musical variety series that aired live on NBC. Uh, that so was telev- early, early television. So early yeah. television, but I was right. I was wrong, but I was I was right, which I think is the the ideal kind. Hmm. Um, I bet the jokes were fresh. I bet the jokes were... Fresher than your breath at the Colgate Comedy Hour. I, I, honestly, that's probably exactly what the show sounded like. Yeah. Um, it, you know what else might have sounded a little bit like that? The promotional material for the hit film After the Thin Man, uh, which is what we're talking about today. Um, I, I want to say up front, we have one uh, listener, friend of the show. Hey, Dave. Dave's very excited about this. He has already yeah, told Dave. me that he's very excited. He's he's lamenting the fact that he's not on this episode. If it were easier to schedule, we may well have tried to get him on just for the the hype of it all. Um another Good thing day they will made come. five sequels. A thinner man will arrive. Uh just a full paper Mario motherfucker just flat flat Nick Charles is going to roll up and and have another caper on his hands. But uh this is the most Mitch Kodrowski ass pick imaginable. It's really ticking every box and I'd love uh for you Mitch to uh, tell us why you picked it. Please. That's that's well, your I love gift the- to me. <laughs> I really love the Thin Man franchise. I've modeled the Thin Man chise. <laughs> I've modeled maybe like 30, 50, 30 to 50% of my persona after <laughs> Nick Charles. Could you I, what's the other 50 to 70%? That's just like various other things, you know. Um I don't. I, I asked for a particular reason. <laughs> it's too long. Well, Liam, what do you think the other half you, of You've of opened Mitch another is? line of questioning. The other half of what? Of Mitch. Mitch's persona. Oh, as in half of Nick, it is Charles Nick Charles. What's the other half? You Colonel can't say Sanders. Charles. Colonel Sanders. That doesn't bode well for me. Well, I mean, you left out all the bad parts about Colonel Sanders. You just you kept the drip and the yeah, chicken. The drip and, and you know yeah, you know how to season food well. Yeah, and we kinda left. And I've shot the... a man. But he deserved it. <laughs> He was making dirty coal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so why did I pick this movie? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I, like I said, I love the Thin Man movies. I've been a fan of them for quite a while. William Powell is is one of my favorite sort of uh, stars from, from cla- in classic Hollywood. I think the films that he made in, in the 30s, like the, the screwballs, were, were great. Um, he's in a handful of... of of really smart, buoyant, bright uh, comedies. My Man Godfrey is one of my favorites. And uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy made 37 films together. So there's there's no shortage of, of, of that sort of on-screen chemistry. That's, that's turning like hanging out with the boys into your career. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive. And they had such great chemistry that people actually thought they were married in real life. And so like when they'd be walking out in public with their actual spouse, people would give them dirty looks. <laughs> um, but uh, I just can't get enough of these two characters, these urbane, sophisticated detectives. Myrna Loy as Nora Charles is this uh, what heiress and uh, Nick Charles, her husband, a private detective who's, and they're always sort of, you know, in their maritable, marital, marital splendor. And then a mystery happens and it interrupts it and they're gracefully drunk and they solve the crimes with their dog. I mean, they're just a great vibe. And most of the movies are set on Christmas or around Christmas in the weeks following or, or, or uh, leading up to. So 
Is I that when they were released the... as well? Was this like a strat, like a yeah, conscious yeah, they strategy? Were. They were. And uh, I'm a big fan of the of the writer whose uh, source material this franchise is based off of, Dashiell Hammett. I've read a bunch of his books, and he's a really interesting guy. Uh, he wrote The Maltese Falcon, uh, Red Harvest, uh, Glass Key, and of course The Thin Man. And um, he had interesting politics too. He was a uh, he joined the Communist Party in 1937. Before based. that, he was he was a Pinkerton agent, so he was a real private eye. And uh, I think at less one point he based was, <laughs> significantly he was, less based than the yeah. other thing. Yeah, he was he was uh, tailing a guy at one point, and he got hit in the head with a brick. Uh, but he still writes great dialogue. Um, he's he's just a really uh, wonderful writer. At one point, he was actually uh, imprisoned for his political views. Uh, I think it was in the in the fifties, late forties. He went to he went, there were a bunch of hearings that happened, and I think he was in prison for a little while in the fifties. So interesting writer. I think he writes really great, funny, uh, sharp dialogue. And they say that Raymond Chandler was kind of a successor, and he would write other sorts of hard-boiled fiction, but was not nearly as sharp as as uh, Dashiell Hammett, in my view. Um, so I, I just love these movies. I can't get enough of them. I love the dog and the subplots with the dog. There's They're just such un- unusual movies. And I picked it, too, because we people talk about how nowadays our, our market is oversaturated with sequels and there's no originality or no original IPs in Hollywood. It's all just remakes. And I we think need that, a remake of The Thin Man. There actually there's there's been talks about it. But you look back to a movie like a franchise like The Thin Man and uh Again, there's there's six in the in the franchise, and then in the early days of television, there was a brief run where it was a series and countless radio serial serials. So, which I've listened to a few of, and they're a great time. When we eventually make our radio drama, which you know it's going to happen, they're going to be a huge inspiration. Those were with the Lux Radio Theater. So I I just can't get enough of Nick and Nora Charles, and that's why I picked it. And I wanted to introduce them to you because they're two of my favorite uh, on-screen characters and probably my favorite on-screen duo. So you've set the bar relatively high. I yeah. think that's fair to say. I mean, I, I the I the Thin Man from 1934. If neither of you have seen it, you really you really ought to go and see it. Uh, the first one, it's just such a a tour de force. This one is interesting because it's uh, it came out after the the production code, the Hayes the Hayes code. Um, the first one's pre code, I think. And, oh, so uh, like people are like drinking and fucking and like really yeah, just going and, bananas. Yeah. And they're, <laughs> You know, there's not like Nick and Nora Charles don't sleep in two separate beds and, and or maybe they I might, did but... notice that. And I was like, this dude is way too like this dude doesn't hook up with anybody who sleeps in a separate bed. Yeah. No, but, no, sir. But so it, it's a bit more uh, a bit more risque in places and uh, I think more fun. But I really enjoy this movie, too. Liam, did you have any awareness of the thin man and his various exploits? Um before now no no i thought he was a villain from the conjuring i didn't know anything never heard of it what's the conjuring thing what's that i don't know what that is a joke about so help me it's not it's not no it's not really a joke it's what it makes me think of it's uh there's a um a villain in there called the crooked man (laughs) and so i i hear the title the thin man and i think of like i think it must be a horror movie in a way i guess or like you know the slender man i think of that too it's a horror movie if you're a criminal. That's right. He's coming for me. <laughs> um, were you like particularly stoked about it at all? Or were you worried that this was going to be like a deep cut Mitch shenanigans pick? 
Like, what was your vibe going into this viewing experience? I was stoked because Mitch mentioned last week that it's a murder mystery, and I really love murder mysteries. Um, and then he mentioned that it was a film noir, which uh, is is interesting. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't. Uh, that's not something I, I flock to. I'm not very well versed, but but I'm interested, and I. Uh, we do have a spotty I- record with film noir, but. That's true, yeah. Um, and when I realized it was Dashiell Hammett, that was interesting because I've I've read Red Harvest and I like it. Red um, Harvest is great. Yeah. So so I I was I was down. I was down. I was uh. I was down. I mean, it's black and white, so um, you know, I'm I'm only fifty percent down, but I was down. Right. That's understandable. Um. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, there's no other prominently released sequel murder mystery that we possibly could have covered right now. No recent murder it mystery thin, film it, with a great was, ensemble cast yeah no the Mediterranean it just, it just didn't exist so it was thin man time because you know there was really nowhere else we could go um and for anybody wondering no we don't have an aversion to new movies bleh. Bleh. speak for yourself we'll watch glass onion sometime <laughs> uh, no I, I really want to well yeah. to be fair yeah. it's not it's not even out when we're recording this it's been in yeah, theaters it's, but it's not it's out on netflix is it not on Netflix yet? Dude, they fumbled no. the bag on this so it's, hard. It's on Netflix they put it and in... it's been theatrical re- theatrically released, I think. It was, it was, it but it was theatrically it released for a week, but it doesn't... It out. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't go on Netflix till December 23rd. And it was oh, out shit. for like a week in November, God. but that's it. Dude, hmm. Netflix fumbled the bag so hard. Because it made a bunch of money in that first week. Why didn't they just keep it in theaters? Like, why would you put it out and then wait like a month... <laughs> And then put it out again. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I got to assume they know what they're doing because it seems too obvious to fumble. I mean, I'll watch it on Netflix, so I'm sure they'll be down for that. I don't know if they do know what they're doing. If you look at the subscription model is kind of floundering, I, I don't buy it. You know who That's they could have used? The, the, Nick the Charles. written intuition of Nick Charles. Absolutely. Um. So for anybody who doesn't know the deal with the Thin Man, uh, me neither. But I know what the deal with after the Thin Man is. So I'll start there. Um, I can start with the Nora. Thin Man. <laughs> I think it's funnier if we do this. All right. <laughs> so so Nick and Nora Charles are back, or they're returning from some sort of trip, where uh, surely a mystery was afoot that required some degree of solving. The events on of the first of his, film. On account of his detective expertise, his detectspertise, if you will. And so they're coming back on a train and Nick Charles knows every person in the city that they live in. Um, and everybody's uh, lauding his good deeds and demanding his uh, presence to help their, their foibles and follies. Man just wants to sleep. They just want to crash. They just want to get home. Uh, up, unfortunately for them, uh, the in-laws are coming over after a bunch of people throw a surprise party at their house that they're not even really in attendance for. So there's a variety of issues there. But with the in-laws, there is a, a cousin, I think, of Nora named Selma, I think. And um, she's having an issue with a man named Robert. He has been di- uh, missing, disappeared. He has been missing for several days. And they don't know what his deal is. They haven't heard from him. Uh, this family is very like rich and well-to-do, and they don't like Nick Charles' streetwise antics. 
but the, yeah, he's they don't around. like him because he's a he's a private detective and and they see that as being unsavory and he's not working like because he, he doesn't want to work he just wants to drink with his with his rich wife <laughs> yeah his yeah i think that yeah his streetwise antics um but they they're like okay can you help find this guy and uh selma also has like a simp played by jimmy stewart who has sort of been left out in the cold vis-a-vis a relationship with her on account of Robert. He's going to try to pay Robert off to fuck off out of their life so he can finally not be on the sidelines of this relationship. And, um, well, all of that's coming together. Uh, the man is shot and killed. <laughs> um, and the plot that unfolds from there, I'm going to keep it intentionally sort of brief because we'll get into the finer details. But um, Nick and Nora are sort of uh, spun into this mystery of trying to get to the bottom of who killed Robert and why. And there's this like dance club Chinese restaurant run by a guy that Nick knows and they're in on it for some reason. There's a there's a mischievous dancer, not to be confused with the character named Dancer, who had a thing with Robert. And, you know, there's a brother who wants you mean money. Polly. Well, she had a thing with Robert. Right. Oh, no, never mind. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. A dancer, not to be confused with dancer, whose name is Polly. Um, and uh, the, the brother wanted in on the money that Jimmy Stewart was going to give to Selma and Robert that Polly is going to get because he's leaving with it with the money. Uh, so it gets a little caught in the weeds of the mystery. The mystery is uh, about as drunk as Nick and Nora Charles. Yeah. They got to get to the bottom of who killed who here. Why? And uh, to do that, we're going to have to drink and quip quite a bit. That's 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 enough. Also, um, they have a dog named Asta. And the B plot is that the dog has been cheated on. Uh, by a by another dog with his dog wife. Um, it's a weird subplot. Choice. It's a weird subplot. Uh. Mitch, did I miss anything? You're you're the expert here. Anything of note? No, that's that's pretty good. Um, What's up with the yeah, first I, movie? What's the deal with that? The first movie is uh, so Nick and Nora Charles are are together. They they're they're like in marital bliss. They're drinking, and Nick's like, I don't want to work. I don't want to work, sweetheart. I want to sit here and have some martinis. Line them up, and. Uh, all of a sudden, a mystery happens involving uh, this this thin man, and um, so Nick Charles is not the thin man. That's why it's after the thin man, mm. because it's just after the events of what happened with this thin man. Yeah, it's after okay, the thin man. Yeah, and uh, hijinks ensue. You have some of the most incredible quips. It's set around Christmas time, whereas this movie is set largely on New Year's Eve, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's a similar kind of structure with this convoluted kind of mystery. And then Nick Charles brings all the suspects into a drawing room and talks to them until one of them kind of slips up. Interesting. I love a good. I love the point in any murder mystery where a guy just has to explain to everybody that he's figured it out. That's the best part of every murder mystery, yeah. I think that's beautiful stuff. Yeah. And uh yeah, they they like Nora Charles's family is kind of alluded to in the original film and the and the dynamic that they have because she's very wealthy and Nick is just sort of a 
uh, a former private eye. Um, they kind of they play up that more, and then this film expands on that, um, which is interesting because I mean this this film came out like in the at the height of that sort of New Deal period when uh, leftist politics were, I guess, arguably the biggest they ever were in in America, and um, a lot of this film is kind of about making fun of like the rich. And, and the wealthy and that's that's one of the things that i really enjoy about this movie and many sort of depression era uh comedies yeah. were about that some of the best let's just inc- say it, it it resonates currently it, it resonates and uh you know the those themes are, are still are still uh important but i mean some of the stuff like for example when they escort uh like the women uh to dinner like what the like that old aristocratic tradition of the men uh, taking the ladies by the arms and walking them in they kind of poke fun at that sort of tradition and many other aristocratic traditions in this movie and i I have a really sort of fun time with with a lot of that stuff because it seems just so uh so like dated and like and and foreign um so yeah what you don't take uh, anybody in the room by the arm and walked up to the table when you go to a restaurant? No. <laughs> I've certainly been kicked out of a few restaurants for trying, but I'm just trying to give the place a little bit of class. <laughs> I come, And when I leave, I leave with the class. <laughs> the whole class? Yeah, well, I mean, like, it, it, it'd be irresponsible to leave any students behind. Mm-hmm. So, you gotta take the whole class on the trip, right? Mm-hmm. Or else, like, at that point, what are we doing? They've essentially, the aristocrats have just kind of invented the buddy system. They have. Um, which is interesting. I don't have a good segue for that. I'm going to talk about who's in this movie now, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Though I I intentionally kept the credits a little vaguer because some of these people have like 150 credits and by some of, I mean a lot of them. And I simply wasn't going through all of those. Mm. They have an advantage um, over the the cast members we normally say. They had more time. Nothing but. Full lifetime. They've been alive for 100 years or something. Some of them are probably still alive, if you look. They're they're in your heart because you watch their movies. Yeah, that's what the Fableman is about, I think. We could do that in the show because it's a sequel to Steven Spielberg's life. Oh, nice. I do want to see it. <laughs> I want to see it, too. Um, this movie is directed by W.S. Van Dyke. I got a note on him. Uh, it might be the same note I have. Do you want to try to say it at the same time and see what it is? One take Woody. Is that? Okay, I wasn't going to say that. Okay. That was his nickname in Hollywood because he had a reputation for, for shooting films incredibly fast, uh, usually in one take and very inexpensively. Uh, I think the, the Thin Man movie ta- took like maybe a week to, to shoot, like the original or something That's so like that. Sick. It was something like absurd like that. It took a, a matter of days. And so he was wildly efficient and he made like a stupid amount of movies. I think on IMDb as a director, he has at least like 91 credits, probably more. But I I surmise many of those are lost to time because when you get into films from this period, there's a lot of ones that have been uh, that just, you know, got lost or burned in fires. And uh, so, yeah, he he, uh, made a stupid amount of movies and... um, yeah, I uh, like uh, one of my favorites by him is is Marie Antoinette from 1938 with uh, uh, Tyrone Power and uh, I think it's uh, Norma Shearer and John Barrymore. It's a fun movie. Um, 
but he also made many of the other Thin Man movies, including the first one. So he's a he's an interesting director, kind of the opposite of Kubrick in the sense of like ninety takes. Uh uh-uh. uh, like we'll do it in one. <laughs> we're gonna do one take ninety for ninety different scenes, and yeah. then we're over. Um, my note was that he uh, did uncredited reshoots for the nineteen thirty seven Prisoner of Zenda. Yes, he did. Yeah, he, he was a, he was definitely one of those bankable uh, guys. Reshoot the, king. The studio liked because he was just wildly efficient. Um, another uh, group of people who did quite a bit of work uh, are Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, who wrote um, "It's a Wonderful Life" and "The Thin Man." A variety of movies from this writing duo, based on a story, as Mitch has said, uh, from Dashiell Hammett, a name straight out of the 1930s if ever i've heard one uh, or i guess like the 1890s or whatever the fuck that yeah. guy was born i don't know but whatever um the cinematography is by oliver t marsh who uh worked on future thin man movies including another thin man and has i believe the final number was one billion credits he worked a lot um i think he shot every movie maybe ever made which is a pretty big accomplishment. There's two different credited composers. And I did not write down the name of who edited this movie. I've just realized this. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> uh, hold that thought. Cause I'm supposed to have done the editor credit by now. It was and... just all edited in camera. That's why they did one take. <laughs> That's why it was so, <laughs> so, uh, so ruthlessly efficient. Um, Robert Kern edited this movie. He is known for The Thin Man and also the personal history, adventures, experience, and observation of David Copperfield the Younger as a title that's simply too long. The personal history, adventures, experience, and observation of David Copperfield the Younger? What the fuck does that even mean? (laughs) What does that even mean? Um, he also he worked on an editor on that one. Yeah, ironically. Uh, also, he was, did a movie called The Three Musketeers, which is going to come up momentarily uh, in my notes. Unless I took it out of my notes. Oh, God, I'm really digging myself a fucking grave here today. Oh, no, the music was by Herbert Stothart, who did the music for that Three Musketeers movie. There we go. Uh, the Picture of Dorian Gray, uncredited music on The Wizard of Oz, and too many other credits. Picture of Dorian Gray has great music. Edward Ward um, is sort of like the Kevin McLeod of the 1930s. He's got a lot of stock music credits. That's awesome. So, so Kevin people McLeod's could just inspiration. Use it. Yeah. So he's sort of Edward Ward, which is a, a name so good they used it twice. Edward Ward. Um, yeah, he's got like a bajillion credits, um, which I think is neat. And uh, yeah, he's basically Kevin McLeod. Um, this movie stars uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy. Mitch already gave a much more interesting credit than I was ever going to, that they've done so many movies together. Uh, but in particular, if you want to talk about uh, William Powell, My Man Godfrey, go to... It's an extraordinary film. Uh, Myrna Loy, if you want to talk about her, uh, an episode of Columbo goaded <laughs> also a movie called uh, mr ashton was indiscreet which is a title i am obsessed with 
the best years of our lives. I didn't write that one down, but you know, you can't win them all. Also, uh, airport. I did see that. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Stewart or James in this case, uh, plays David. He's, I don't know. Everybody knows who Jimmy Stewart is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to condescend to the audience as if they don't know that Jimmy Stewart was in Vertigo, the Philadelphia story, how the West was one anatomy of a murder in American tale, the man who shot Liberty Valance, rear window rope, and the man who knew too much. I'm not going to act like you don't know that. Why would I do that? (laughs) Uh, Alyssa Landy plays Selma. She was uh, in a movie called The Great Flirtation, which is another very good name for a movie to have. Um, Joseph Kalea plays Dancer, which I said like that because it's in scare quotes. Um, He was in Touch of Evil. And a movie called Yankee Buccaneer, which is awesome. Uh, Jesse Ralph plays Aunt Catherine. Alan Marshall plays Robert. He was in House on Haunted Hill. Goated. Uh, Teddy Hart plays Casper. He plays a character named Crowbar in a series of movies that's like Ma and Pa Kettle, and then they go various places. Like, if you type that in, there's a movie called like Ma and Pa Kettle, and then there's Ma and Pa Kettle Go to Town, Ma and Pa Kettle at Home, Ma and Pa Kettle Back on the Farm, and there's like Ma and Pa Kettle like Go to Paris or some shit. Like there was just a billion of these. This sounds like a web series. Kinda, I, yeah. I guess it's that's the last name series. Kettle. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's like a run of like Universal made them. It's like so Wikipedia describes it as the hillbilly duo had their hands full with a ramshackle farm and brood of rambunctious children. When the future comes a calling in the form of modern houses, exotic locales, and newfangled ideas, Ma and Pa must learn how to make the best of it with luck, pluck, and a little country charm. So like it's basically um it's funny to put Hicks in a modern environment. Also, I know you're wondering, they did go Hawaiian. What was that one called? Ma and Pa Kettle at Waikiki. <laughs> and when a boat is Hawaiian as it could possibly get, they go to meet a cousin, Rodney, who was a pineapple business. This might have been the original Goes Hawaiian. It may well have been. Like, it is the most fucking prime example of our uh, Ghost Hawaiian conceit that we've ever had. Also, it's the first time I've seen a Wikipedia plot description use all capital letters for emphasis. What year would it have been? Uh, this was 1955. That makes sense, because that's like when like the Hawaiian kind of tiki boom exploded, and you have... Uh, uh, yeah, like people know. doing tiki parties at yeah. home and like stuff like that, and all the drinks yeah and whatnot uh, all these wild sort of uh drink like i think hilton i think opened a location there in the 50s so it was, it was yeah. a big tourism boom yeah they were done with all of the rampant violent colonialism so they just sort of uh, could... i don't know if they were done <laughs> i shouldn't have said done i meant to i was just trying to you know i know what you mean bring some awareness and then i fucking uh fucked it up you know what else is fucked up 
there's three different writers for Ma and Pa Kettle at Waikiki. The second one is named Harry Clark. Clark? Wow. <laughs> yeah. We need a franchise made about that guy. Like Harry? Fork? C-L-O-R-K. That's what an unfortunate name. He wrote three dozen films, including one called The Mighty McGurk. What the, who the fuck is this guy? Clark wrote The McGurk. That one is his <laughs> The Fable Mix. It's about himself. Dude, this is... He wrote a movie called Mr. Dynamite, which I think is very fun. This was his last... No, wait, no, selected filmography. I thought Ma and Pa Kettle at Waikiki was his last movie. Wait, his wife, his divorced wife has a Wikipedia page? Who's his divorced wife? Uh, Nora Bays, who was a vaudeville performer. <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Born in 1880. Anyway, there's a rabbit hole. Let's not do that. But uh, that was fun. Huh? <laughs> How do we feel about that? Um, we've got Sam Levine as Lieutenant Abrams. Penny Singleton playing Polly. Note on Penny Singleton. Well, credited uh, as Dorothy McNulty. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you might know her as the voice of Jane Jetson. Oh, no shit. That's cool. Yeah. William Law plays Alum Key. Uh, George Zuko plays Dr. Cammer. Paul Fix is whoever Phil Burns is. Uh, and uh, Asta is credited as Asta, but the Wikipedia page claims the dog's name was Skippy. It's Skippy. It is Skippy? Yeah, See, Skippy was a very famous dog in, in the 1930s. So what's funny about that is IMDb also credits the dog as Asta. Yeah, maybe he maybe a lot of people call their dogs like several different names. Yeah, but like there's only one legal name. No, it's Skippy the dog. He was in a bunch of uh <laughs> bunch of movies. 23 at least according to uh IMDb. Including a movie called Ski Sea Racketeers and Fog Over Frisco with Betty Davis. <laughs> Dude, movie titling has gone way downhill. Way and downhill. Topper takes a trip. Dude, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing up baby as George the dog. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you, he's like but he's great. To, like I you think need he to might fucking, be in... Like you need to he's... clarify that it's George the dog. <laughs> He's really good in the awful truth. Um, but to Leo McCary, uh, sort of screwball comedy with Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. We need acting awards for dogs. Yeah. Both those films are really good. And uh, yeah, I just, I can't recommend them enough. In fact, both of those movies, you can find them on the uh, Criterion Screwball Collection right now. Do you guys want to organize an event called the Astas where we give out awards to dogs? Yeah. Only Wire Fox Terriers. And Airbud, who we've got a previous history with. And I guess the, the monkey from MXP. An honorary dog. Yeah, he's my dog. Now, Skippy is like probably my favorite dog in movies. That's a big statement. Yeah. The Airbud Defense Force is going to come out in full effect, brother. You better watch out. They got, they got people on all high places. <laughs> He was in the naked truth, or sorry, the, the awful truth and the half naked truth. You know who you'd never guess who was part of the Airbud Defense Force? This is a big surprise to me. Hey, do you do you want to guess? You never will. Do you want to guess? Uh no, I'm not going to guess, so you can just tell me. It's Joe Biden. For real? Yeah. Hmm. Like, he established like a human or is that a dog? <laughs> That's way funnier than the thing I was gonna say. 
Joe Biden the dog. People name their dogs after humans a lot of the times, man. No, I know, but I was going to say that like well, the first thing he did with his administration was establish the Airfoot Defense Force, but your thing's way funnier. Well, the, the reason he did that is because he's secretly a dog. <laughs> It's just a dog that you're aware of named Joe Biden that loves Airbus. That's right. They call him Joe for short, but. <laughs> they call him Joe because that's his name. <laughs> okay. Oh, fuck. Um, that's everybody. Uh, that wasn't credited or sorry that was everybody that wasn't uncredited because the list of uncredited actors was very long just every uh, person in the world the population yeah, joe, was small enough at that point we're not gonna credit all these people it. who weren't in it yeah it's tough um i guess i'm most curious about well i guess mitch's take and then we'll do liam's because mitch is sort of like the established force here i mean i kind of showed my hand earlier when i said that i like this movie and i still like this movie um i think it's a really made an interesting point in time right because uh the 19th amendment uh, you know the volstead act had just been repealed uh, a couple of years earlier so uh prohibition was over and drinking was uh legal and back in vogue and everybody wanted to do it and uh so th that's kind of interesting it also came out after the Hayes code where there were a bunch of these interesting moral rules to police the conditions in which movies are made but you know it's you can be drunk I do the whole enjoy time. the phrase interesting moral rules yeah yeah so you can you can be drunk the whole time but just don't like don't for the love of god let the bad guys get away or you know or show even like half a thigh or i'll yeah. fucking kill you <laughs> So it's, it's, I it's swear very, to God, I'll do it. The conditions in which this movie were made, uh, I find very interesting um, because the Hayes Code was a very conservative uh, piece of legislation introduced by uh, William Hayes, who was a, a, a I forget what he was. A, um, he had a some sort of job with the, with, the, with the postage agency, I think. <laughs> and somehow he was able to, to pass moral rules in Hollywood. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's all very interesting. And on top of that, I've, I've talked about how much I love Nick and Nora Charles and uh, William Powell. Famous for their infinite playlist. And Myrna Loy. And uh, th their on-screen chemistry, I think, uh, will never be duplicated. Um, with that being said, as much as I really do like this movie, I do have some problems with it. I think uh, it's it's longer than the first movie for sure. And the mystery is more convoluted. I know a lot of people criticize the first movie because they say that it's it's short and it's not like that uh, well developed, and so a lot of the other characters aren't. And this movie, they kind of go all in and they they just throw all of these characters at you, and many of them are interesting and funny. And a little line of dialogue from a thug uh, sounds authentic, and it can make you laugh. And it's usually pretty pretty witty, or you know, a conversation with a pickpocket. And those are oftentimes endearing moments. But sometimes I find that the film gets bogged down under the weight of its own mystery. I think in this movie too, there's a few things that uh, age it and also uh, slow down this this buoyant, effervescent uh, like roll right down to a halt. Like there's a bit of uh, of, of racism in this movie, and uh, 
a representation that I think is pretty bad. Like uh, uh, Penny Singleton, who we were talking about, who plays Polly, is supposed to be a Chinese uh, nightclub singer, and uh, her you can you know guess from her name that she's not Chinese. So there's there's uh, a few things like that that I think bring down what is otherwise like a really uh, charming, endearing movie. But yeah. well, um, and Lum Ki, who is our other like primary Chinese yes. character, speaks in like half sentences. Yeah, so it's that's not great, and not in like a naturalistic way. Just to be clear, because like some people just like if English isn't your first language, he's you getting might... direction from like a like a white dude that uh, yeah. is racist. He's like a yeah, he's like a thug guy who is just like getting bossed around by dancer. He's just like he's a nightclub owner. Us. Yeah, yeah, um, um, the owner of the Chinese restaurant. So I I don't really like that, and I think that that uh, brings this movie down. Um, in comparison to the original, I just also prefer the original generally, but I do think that there are some really charming, uh, delightful moments. And I think that this movie, uh, outside of those things that we mentioned have, has aged, uh, pretty well. And I think it stands up pretty well. And I, I think it still manages to entertain and make you laugh and, and seem fresh. So, um, it, it's good. I like Jimmy Stewart a lot here when he's fresh faced and uh straight out of high school <laughs> i don't know if i want to i don't know if i want to spoil uh his, his part in it but they they cast him against part i'll just say that you kind and of already we, have now yeah, <laughs> in saying i don't know if i want to spoil it and then saying but that well, I, I haven't, you I haven't have. said to what extent they they cast him, he's casted against part but that's really interesting to see um i i like a lot of the the supporting performances and uh, I like how how quickly it moves in places, but I I think that the mystery in this in the central part is drunk and and, and convoluted and uh, maybe a bit a bit too long in that sense. But for me, it's still a good movie that that holds up uh, in a lot of ways. So it's a yes from me, but I probably wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. I mean, I think when you compare it to like the later Thin Man films and especially like by like the, the forties, I think a lot of them kind of yeah. went downhill. Um, by the time they get to the thick man, it was, kinda yeah, I think over. like the third one is, is in my opinion is kind of like one of the, the last, uh, uh, best one, the last good ones. Um, and which one is who... that? Which one is that called? Uh, I think it's a song. Oh, sorry, the the, the thirty nine one. Uh, another thin man. They made a, they made another one. <laughs> they made another thin man. What the what the fuck, dude? Um, cool. Uh, Liam, you don't have the baggage of the original thin man, and the baggage of expectation. So it does make me wonder if you agree with Mitch's assessment. Disagree? Strong thoughts? Weak thoughts? Oh, uh, there is there is one more thing I wanted to say. <laughs> oh, okay. It's about the song of the Thin Man in 1947. <laughs> Dean Stockwell plays uh, Nick Charles Jr.'s son. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Interesting. Well, with that in mind, Liam, does that sway your opinion at all, knowing about Dean Stockwell? Dean Stockwell? Um, I just met her, dude. I, I truly did. I did. I did just meet that man. I got no no clue who that is. Paris, Texas, <laughs> Blue Velvet. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, Compulsion. That's a '50s movie that's really good with Orson Welles. Um, a Long Day's Journey into Night. Uh, yeah, he was in a, a, like a bunch of really. Wait, how many movies exist with that title? <laughs> uh, 
because well, I've seen I'm a talking movie about the one that. from the '60s by Sidney Lumet with. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking Ralph about Richardson. the. There's a movie, I think it's from 2017, with that title by uh, 2018. It's from a Be Gone. It's a Chinese movie. Okay. Called Long Day's Journey into Night. I didn't know there was another one with that title. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's in. Uh, he's in so many, so many movies. Dude, um, that. By the way, that movie I just mentioned, the same title, obviously, fucking incredible. It's got like the second half of it is one take. I think mm-hmm. there is an a fifty nine minute unbroken one take. Damn. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> no. Fucking <laughs> crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, he's also into live and die in L.A. and nice the original man. Dune. So, also, if you like Tarkovsky, you'd probably like this uh, long day's journey in tonight that I'm talking about. I do, so I'll check that out. Yeah, you, sh- you should watch this movie. I think you would like this movie quite a bit. Um, sure. Also, that long take. This is nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it was also shot in 3D, and the rest of the movie is shot in 2D. Wow. I only saw it in 2D because I obviously didn't see it in a theater. But I'd be very curious to see about that particular element of it. It was like a textural decision. Like he wanted it to feel distinct, not just in like how it was being presented. But um You uh you haven't said what the take is of, so I'm just picturing it's just a take of a wall for fifty nine <laughs> minutes in three D and you're just like, damn, this is impressive. They just they <laughs> pressed record and they didn't press stop for fifty nine minutes. Oh, well, uh so he he's he goes along like a railway track into like a cave on a mine cart, has to play a game with a kid and then is taken to like a rundown sort of town and they take a chairlift down a mountain and it's complicated, but it's they're going cool. all over. They're going all over the place. Um speaking of going all over the place, uh I want to go to Liam for his take on after the thin man. Yeah, uh, so I was impressed, and I honestly basically feel exactly the same way Mitch does. I'm, 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 I'm kind of surprised. Um, the The mystery was ended up being a bit underwhelming for me. I also thought it was just convoluted and tough to follow. Didn't have the payoff that that I would have wanted uh, when I heard it described as a murder mystery. But I was sorry, my birds are stoked. But I was, uh, I was into the movie from the very beginning um and so the murder mystery which is what drew me to to be interested in the movie actually ended up being kind of secondary because i just think the dialogue and the performances particularly by uh the nick and nora characters um but the writing all across the board is is just really clever and witty and um and timeless i think or at least it feels Either it's ahead of its time or it's just like I was naive and thought that these kind of jokes and these turns of phrases like didn't exist uh, this this long ago. But but what's a good uh, example of that? Do you have one? Yeah, let me let me find one here. Um, A good one would be. uh, When. um, when they have lines like uh like oh what Mitch what Mitch said the illiterate thing and saying that that I'm just uh we were married right here in City Hall or uh, there was a good line of um she says like uh, you wouldn't know them they're respectable people um there was a <laughs> there was a uh, 
a moment where he says like he's like packing drinks into his bag. He's packing a suitcase. Are you packing, dear? Yeah, I'm, put, <laughs> yeah. With drinks, I'm packing away this liquor. Yeah, it's just like there's a there's a liveliness and a chemistry and like a a sense of fun to this couple, and I guess um, it's just refreshing to see in a time when I think uh, I picture like old people being so serious. You know what I mean? I'm just a dumbass. I just don't think of this stuff. And so this was a movie that kind of it popped. I thought the way a modern day comedy does. Um, I thought this was a really funny and witty movie. And uh, I thought the performances were very natural right from the beginning when they're on this train car. Um, Do you want a slice of throat, dear? <laughs> right. Oh, like it just... it, she opens the door and he almost cuts his throat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the idea of using a straight razor on a train at all just makes me want to die. Like that. Yeah, just seems no, thanks. Extremely oh, dice. Gotta do what you gotta yeah, do back I've then. cut myself pretty good with one before. <laughs> And oh, presumably while standing completely still, so I can only imagine the difficult element of introducing a train. Yeah. Yeah, so I just felt immediately immersed and intrigued by these characters. When it started, I felt like they they had lived a life before this, and you know, that makes sense because it's a sequel, but also it, it feels like uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they also feel that way in the in the previous installment, mm. just because um their chemistry is just so good. So that was well, my were, favorite were part of the movie. and radio dramas before, so the public would have known them. They were household uh, figures, for sure. So that's impressive that they were able to pull it off. They were able to to cast people that, that carried that. Um, and I, I thought that it was so impressive and so if this isn't the best movie that they that they've done if if the if the first one is better than this i really do want to check it out because i was i was really impressed by the characters and uh the dialogue first and foremost and if the 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 murder mystery crime kind of thing is is a bit tighter in the original then then i'm all in because uh you know, a movie like Knives Out, if, if we're drawing comparisons to uh, to this modern day murder mystery, I think Knives Out has that witty dialogue and uh, that that deep characterization and the charisma. And, and it also has a, a really uh, cleverly uh, constructed murder mystery that that really pays off at the end. And so um, this this kind of was almost that for me. I thought the murder mystery ended up falling a bit short but um i think that the murder mystery part is honestly easier easier to do i think it's more impressive that they were able to to pull off the the smaller things in these characters and so i really like this movie right on i'm so glad i was worried you might not because i knew it was a it was an older pick but yeah it, it's this film is almost 90 years old and i feel like it, in a lot of ways it, it it's aged really well i think so dude i th- i thought it felt more modern than some of the older stuff some of the other old stuff that we've done that's actually more recent like uh yeah. like the douglas sirk movies i think those feel they have like a bit of a stilted dramatic quality mm-hmm. to them whereas this felt a bit bouncier and i like that yeah, it is it is very like bouncy and elegant and and graceful and it's just so much fun to get a glimpse into these lives of, of these of these two ridiculous and plausible characters who are, are just gracefully drunk uh with their dog solving mysteries and, and everybody knows them and they're they're just such like likable people. 
um like the scene where Nick Charles is is at at dinner with all the older men, or they've retired to the smoking room and they've all fallen asleep and they're snoring. And oh. he's carrying on a conversation with them to like their snores, and he's responding to them and and being very affable while he does it. I just I fucking love that kind of shit. Yeah, that that's what I should have said as as my example as to uh, the cleverness of this movie. That that scene was making me laugh. Uh really hard i was laughing so hard i apparently didn't write it down but that was that was impressive and that that seems like something that would be in a more modern movie to me so it's, it's just awesome to to see it in this one and i love the dog yeah the dog's great <laughs> um i'm gonna i'm gonna dissent very very slightly only slightly in that my two biggest complaints up front are I don't know why the dog is here. Um, what? I think the dog's kind of annoying. Dude, It the movie grinds to a halt when the dog shows up. Any the scene dog's... that's just like, and now we're doing a bit with the dog. I'm like, why? I think the dog infidelity scene's fucking hilarious. Oh my god, it's so stupid and it goes on forever. <laughs> Yeah, I think like the first like, time it's funny, but the, it it repeats throughout the film a few times, and uh, that stuff doesn't do it for me. But I just love Skippy the dog. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. I've seen like at least half of his films, so I'm yeah, a fan. Yeah, I don't know, it's a well trained dog, but yeah. So that I wasn't crazy about. Also, um, I'm gonna go a little bit further on this mystery. I think this mystery sucks, and the reason I'm going so far as to use the word sucks is how do you not just know it's jimmy stewart right away <laughs> like i think one of the things that it has working for it is the fact that we know jimmy stewart to be a nice guy who would never be cast in doing something evil but that's why they cast him so how do you not see him and immediately well, at this go, point at this oh, point well, in his career probably not like, at this point in his career probably not he was but, a re- but, relatively unknown it's one of his first but films for, but for me like i see that and i'm like okay it was him and then that's what makes the fact that it's so convoluted, so frustrating, is that it doesn't feel like it's in service of very much, because it seemed pretty transparent pretty early to me that that's what happened here. Because like the other people are very like upfrontly unsavory in this way or that way, so the movie wants you to assume that that's what happened, but uh, he's got a pretty obvious motive, and they're trying to cast him initially as the sympathetic guy, which would lead you to be suspicious in a murder mystery scenario that maybe he's not all he said he was. So, like, I just wondered why it took so much, like, jumping around and hooting and hollering to get to the that. Like, it's frustrating that it's so convoluted, given that the outcome seemed very clear. That all said, I agree with the majority of what you guys are saying in that, like, it's a very fun, breezy thing to watch the performances are great the nick and nora stuff's very fun i did read a letterboxd review that said that apparently this person felt that nora's character had been like really scaled back that's true and i'd be very curious to see more myrna loy like up front because i think she's great but um no like it's it's witty it's quippy it's fun anybody could watch this and i think have a good time um it's fun it's a good time it's it's a very straightforward like yeah i would recommend this people would enjoy it the dialogue's very fun the performances are like on it uh one of those very straightforward kind of takes where i'm like yep at ease soldier <laughs> there you go it's good it's good 
Um, yeah. yeah, I was taking notes throughout, but I found that I was just sort of like writing down lines more than anything. That's kind of the main attraction is just to sort of like listen to this movie and, and uh, the, the bounce of it. And just like the one-liners that are just one after the other, um, and that's what so many of these kind of screwball comedies are like. They're just they're just like bits with just really great writing and, and charm all the way through until the end. There's that part where they're walking through the restaurant and a woman tries to hit on him and he's holding a horn and he just blows it in her face and walks away. Yeah, or the part where he he kisses a, a woman at New Year's and it's the wrong woman and it's like dark and he can't tell that it's not his wife. <laughs> or like they're driving back to his house and they see that dude. Like there's like one adult guy who's with all these like newspaper children and he's got like a boxing match and he said that he was, he says he's going to, where did I, where did I put the line? It's very funny. Where did my note go? I think he says something to the effect of he's going to cut him into ribbons, which just made me laugh. Yeah, it's it's a lot of these bit parts are just extraordinary. Like Fingers, the pickpocket at the train station who steals Myrna Loy's purse. Yeah, and I then, was trying I was trying to figure out if he was from the original because it seemed it it seemed so natural and like there was a history there. No, he's not. Nick Charles just knows everyone. And that that makes it even cooler to me. Yeah. Yeah, Nick Charles is just that dude. I think everybody wants to be Nick Charles. I think he's he's so great. Like he's so sophisticated. I love I love William Powell's mustache. It's a very 1930s mustache. Yeah, we got a lot of thin stashes. Yeah. Uh there is also a letterbox review that says uh Nick Charles possesses less toxic masculinity than 99% of fictional and real men and he's a former He's a drunk former cop from the '30s. That's true. He is. He is a very like affable, like un- unjealous husband who who like trusts he's his here, wife he and respects lives for her. The fucking vibes, dude. And is fair. Like he's he is truly like a decent and good person. I feel like like he's a he's a great character. He was probably fun to play. Oh, I'm sure. I know William Powell loved to play him. And uh, a lot of the films that he's in from the 30s are pretty much uh, just like that. And I love William Powell's sort of uh, style of elocution and speaking. He's, his diction is beautiful and clear. And uh, yeah, I think you have to see him in My Man Godfrey. It's like one of the great sort of uh, screwball comedies of the 30s with Carol Lombard and Eugene Paulette. And uh, he plays this butler named Godfrey. It's by Gregory LaCava. And uh, yeah, it's just like a wonderful film. And in real life, Powell loved to have fun. Like there's uh, an instance like during the filming of that movie or in the pre-production when they were talking about what they wanted uh, uh, um, Godfrey Park, the, the butler's character, to be like. And uh, so they went out and they got absolutely hammered. And then on the first day, of, that was like the eve of the of the first day of shooting. And uh William Powell got so drunk he couldn't make it into the shoot the next day and he sent Gregory LaCava a note and he says, we found Godfrey, but we lost Powell. And because uh, he was too sick to go in to make it to the shoot. So I don't know. I just think he's he's just like a, a, a lovely uh, character and actor from this time and I, I never tire of watching his movies. Yeah, simple as that. It's pretty sick. What Liam, what did you think of the the dog infidelity angle? 
I <laughs> I was a bit confused at first, like when the dog, you know, gets like in the it's in the main credits right at the beginning, big font. And um, I was like, what is that? I didn't even know that it was a dog's name at the time. It said Asta and Miss Asta. Asta is a great name for a dog. It is a great name. Um, and so when it started happening, I was I was I was like um, amusingly confused. And then I ended up being into it. One, because I love I love I love dogs. I love animals. I like watching, you know, like this is the kind of like videos I watch on my phone. Right. It's just dogs being dogs and having little lives. So I like that, um, but sure, it, I don't like it enough to want to slow down a, a particular type of movie. There are movies I love that, even if they had cute dogs in them, if they if they uh, took an intermission to hang out with those dogs for a while, I would probably like the movie less. But in this case, I found it worked because um, I was realizing that the murder mystery didn't have me hooked the way that I wanted to be hooked and I was I was enjoying the movie on a comedic level and so the little breaks for that for the Asta show or the Skippy show I was it kind of felt like it was like a a variety show piece or something and it was just cutting away and I was hanging out with this dog and then I was going back to some some goofy dialogue and so I, I ended up quite liking it but um I guess Asta would be in the first movie as well, right? Yeah, he is. He is. And uh, he's in every single film, actually. Uh, That's he cool. plays like a, a pretty um, major role in the, in the first one for sure. Um, definitely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of role that is in the first movie. And if it's, if it feels um, ancillary kind of like it does in this movie or if it's a significant uh, plot thing it's more significant because the dog actually helps them investigate he, the, the, dog cool. and, the dog and nick go to the scene of the crime and ask to help them uncover crimes i will say that the that the like the writing uh, as a whole is much better and the dialogue is sharper in the first two so you should check it out sure I, my, my favorite line from like the entire film is uh is that there's this part where um like Nick, Nick is greeted by like some old friends, and he's approached, and he says, "You know, I re- I read in the tabloids that you were that you were shot twice, or shot five times in the tabloids." And then uh, Nick says, "It's not true. He didn't get anywhere near my tabloids," which is great. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, um, I I'm curious to see how they handle the dog in the first movie. It sounds like it's it's more woven into the plot, and so I I. I can understand why they, you know, had to keep the dog in this movie, even though they didn't have as much for the dog to do in relation to the human characters. So they just had to create something for it. Mm-hmm. So um, I could see that going either way for someone that they're gonna they're gonna like that because they just want to see more dog, or they're not gonna like it because it it seems like it's taking away from the movie. But for me, I I liked it because. Um, I was I was I was interested in the movie mm-hmm. comedically, and I, I wasn't all th- as much into the dramatics of it all, and so I liked hanging out with the dog. Nice, you know. I have to say, I've seen a few of the Skippy's films with Abigail. Uh, we've watched The Awful Truth and Bringing Up Baby, and she she doesn't like Bringing Up Baby, and I'm like, how can you not like Bringing Up Baby? It's a a wonderful movie. Uh, but Skippy's in both of those movies and Abigail is scared to death of Skippy the dog. She's like, it's too humanoid. It's not even a dog. Cause it, like he, the way that the dog moves, it's clearly so well-trained and, and so attentive and so focused. It's almost like robotic. Um, 
So yeah, she, they should have she she got an eye dog. Yeah, she was weirded out by the dog. <laughs> That's it's wild. Like, like a little alien. <laughs> and it does have a, a kind of strange even look to it, like the, the breed. I'm so bad with dog breeds. It's but... a wire fox terrier. Oh, the dog breed does it, the dog kind of freaks me out purely on that like visual level a little bit. Yeah, like it just kind of got a long a long snoot, but then a short body, but then long legs, and so and it's a, just a, a fuzzy coat. It almost looks like a, a Rudolph a in like that, in that old cartoon. You know the one? Uh, they look like they're made out of felt or something. Yeah, it looks like a kid's drawing of a dog come to life. Um, it's a weird thirties haircut, but I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it. Dog grooming, like back in those days, for like the ultra wealthy, was really bizarre. Um, yeah, you ever look at photos of like really rich, famous people's dogs? They always have the weirdest fucking haircuts. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. And I'm I'm looking at photos of Skippy here with with uh, the coat grown out a bit more and in different positions, and doesn't look as weird as as uh, as he does in some of the shots in this movie. So, Skippy, you're a great looking dog. Yeah. Honestly, I think that the greatest dog in, in cinema. It could be argued. Yeah. No, Nick and Nora Charles, it's incredible. <laughs> I think we do need to talk about the ending of this movie. Do yeah, tee, tee it up. Yeah, okay. So the movie ends with them back again on a train, and Nora Charles is knitting. Uh, and then Nick finally leans over and realizes that she's knitting like, uh, I don't know, some sort of piece of clothing for a baby. And then he's like, oh, a baby. And then, uh, yeah, so he hello pretty much... Hello, my baby. Ah, <laughs> oh, hello, my baby. And uh, yeah, so then he realizes that he's going to be a dad. And so the kid plays like a big role in the, in the, in the films to come. Um, I don't know if I like that. Is it like a kid that can talk? Yeah. How much time passes? Uh, a lot, because I mean, the uh, last one was in 1947, and this one's 1936, so 10 years. Uh, I don't know if I want a kid in the these. Kid is, the kid is pretty charming in some of them, but I, again, I think that the films drop uh, pretty seriously. He's no quality. robot, dog. And also, I think like the by that time, the public, too, was maybe tiring of that whole, like, boozing is cool and trendy and hip and happening. We couldn't do this before. Um. So their their characters seem a bit worn out by then, um, and, but I still recommend you go out and and, and see them um, eventually. And you know, there's so many of them we could do them again. So uh, uh, whoever was was looking to come onto the pod to watch, I mean, there's plenty of Thin Man movies. Stay tuned, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Dave, I was I was at a loss for for names. I was at a loss for Dave. Sorry, Dave. Um. So a new we got a new year coming up. 2023 there's only one thing we can realistically start it with i think you tell me if you think i'm wrong but i won't hear you out at all um (laughs) great what i what i think we need to do fellas is uh start your fucking engines because it's time for stephen king's trucks oh fuck yeah it's been years of threatening to do Stephen King's trucks. That high octane cocaine adventure. And by God, we're finally fucking doing it. Uh I think I think Chaz is coming along for the ride. He's getting in the back of the pickup with us. Uh if I'm wrong, I'm keeping that in anyway because it was a fun sentence to say. Um so for anybody who doesn't know Stephen King's trucks, although I will say it 
uh, it was listed as as that at one point on the internet, but now the listing appears to just be trucks. But calling it Stephen King's trucks is significantly funnier, so that's what we'll be doing. And it was listed as that originally, but um, it's based on the same source material as Maximum Overdrive. If you're wondering why it counts, uh, it's just called Trucks, though. <laughs> Uh, I believe the original story that Stephen King wrote is called Trucks, and then he made Maximum Overdrive. And then somebody else later made Stephen King's Trucks. And I I genuinely can't wait, dude. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about Trucks. I'm looking forward to it. I love Christine, but that's more of of a Cars movie. Not to be confused with Cars. This is from 1997. Good year. Uh, Good here, famously, kind of for us. Um, uh oh. Uh, can everybody still hear me? Yeah, yeah. My screen just went completely black for a second oh. there. Is the recording well, still on? Yeah, it is. That was weird. Anyway, let's wrap this up shortly. Yeah. Uh, also, Liam, I was withholding some information from you about Stephen King's trucks. What? Um. It's it's podcast related more than anything. Uh, we've encountered some of the creative team of this before. Okay. Uh, this movie was uh, Stephen King's Trucks is written by uh, Brian Taggart. Who that sounds wrote so familiar. Poltergeist 3. Mm. Which is a good movie. We like Poltergeist 3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really good movie. So, look, all I'm saying is... Trucks could deliver, and they famously do. Dude, I love it. Brian Taggart said, "If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself." And he if thought you, if you that St- right. Stephen King he didn't ad- adapt trucks well enough, and so Brian Taggart was like, "I got to do it." <laughs> he fucking licked the stamp and sent it. Got in a truck, drove it as fast as possible. Incredible biblical scenes. Um, so I'm very excited about trucks. Um, another thing I'm excited about is hearing Mitch's plugs. And he's he's going to leave me hanging. Big time. I don't know if, if he's doing a bit, he's muted. <laughs> I think he just wanted to disappoint you because you were excited for it. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I actually, I did a great one, but then I realized God. I was on mute. Could I, can Fuck. we try again? Uh, just do it now. Because we talked about the fact that you were muted already, so. Ah! All right, Noah. Well, cocktail shaker. After. Yeah. What is this music? Where did you find this? Where did you find that music? Is that Kevin McLeod? No, it's Count Basie. <laughs> God, that was fucking awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Well, I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. Uh, you can find me on f- on uh, Facebook. <laughs> your Facebook. <laughs> you can find me on uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd under the username Graham the Mallow. You can find me hidden in the back of a truck somewhere if you look hard enough with <laughs> Brian Taggart or Vibing. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to the two other podcasts that I make, both of which are updating slightly less frequently currently. But uh, MK PodQuest, which I did with our friend Neil, will be back full force in the start of the new year. We've just been very busy. 
uh strat two uh, i did with our friend callum it's about formula one uh it's the f1 off season so you know we'll get back to it eventually don't worry about it and uh if you want all of those localized into one convenient place, you can go to mortalcombatconquest.ca where uh, I've put all of those podcasts uh, centralized. Um, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and the best 1930s-style quip, one-liner, thin man piece of dialogue you can come up with. Let's go with that. Uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, 2023 is going to start with some fucking trucks. Yeah, there's going to be fireworks, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> they made another one. It's going to be fireworks, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs>